This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. UFOs, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are a church of the best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. And I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making Veritas possible. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to both segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. Let me start tonight's program by saying this. You hear me saying that there's no censorship here and anything in pursuit of the truth goes. What you're about to hear tonight is a prime example of that. It's the one topic you will not hear in the mainstream media. In fact, you will not even see it being discussed in many so-called alternative media outlets. Ladies and gentlemen, that is proof that there is controlled opposition so that the masses are distracted and they are able to vent their steam in the wrong direction. Tonight's special guest is William Dean A. Garner, a former biophysicist, U.S. Army Airborne Ranger, corporate researcher, and author. We will discuss the Jesuits, who rules the world, control opposition, and the coming financial collapse, and what you can do to mitigate it. William Dean A. Garner is coming up next. And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there is a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. 
this is Michael Tellinger, and you're listening to Veritas. William Dean A. Garner has studied the human element that runs our world and how for more than 30 years. He's a former biophysicist, U.S. Army Airborne Ranger, corporate mercenary with 211 overseas missions, and is now senior editor at Adagio Press, based in Cape Town, South Africa. He writes and speaks about the Society of, the, of Jesus, the Jesuits, and how they control the world and the steps we, the people, can take to counter their machinations. Among his books, he has written a new version of Sun Tzu's The Art of War and his newest publication, Who Really Owns Your Gold? The Intended Global Meltdown of 2012 to 2014. And to learn more about Dean Garner and his work and purchase his new book, visit his websites at Adagio Press, that's A-D-A-G-I-O Press dot com, and his blog at WilliamDeanAGarner.com. And directly from Cape Town, South Africa, I would like to welcome, for the first time on Veritas, William Dean A. Garner. Hello, Mr. Garner, and welcome. How are you? Hey, Mel, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? Uh, great. My pleasure to have you on. May I call you Dean, by the way? Yes, please. And I was mentioning this offline. You folks, you may hear a dog behind the scenes, and and uh, Dean will explain why. You know, I'm fascinated with your research, and I'm I'm so glad that I have you on, Gene, because as it happens many times with most of my guests, I didn't know who you were until recently, because your work is obviously not mainstream. And I want to thank our one of our listeners and members, James from Virginia, who referred me to your work. That's why I say that I have the best job in the world, because every week I'm surprised with new information. And folks, when I tell you that, Tonight's interview you will never hear in the mainstream media. You can count on it. But, Dean, I read a short bio uh, of yours. And can you tell us more about your background, where you grew up, and what led you to this path, and why you are, why you are in South Africa? Well, let's see. The, uh, just a basic background. I, I was born in Texas, but uh, was kidnapped by my grandmother shortly after I was born. And so I was actually an outlaw with my, with my grandmother for about two weeks. <laughs> and uh, I, that was, then was repatriated with my mother. And we, we flew to uh, Europe where my father was a fighter pilot in Germany with the U.S. Air Force. So I think my beginnings started at, uh, in, in a very strange and fascinating way. And I think that that has sort of paved the way for what I'm doing today, sort of being an outlaw outside the mainstream media, out on the fringes of society, reporting from the outside in the things that I see. Nonetheless, I, I was trained uh, in physics and engineering. I applied that to biology, so I was a biophysicist. And uh, I went to a college at American University, Washington, D.C. And in around 1981, I was at an embassy party because my parents used to go to all the embassy parties in D.C. And a gentleman uh, just ran across the room and accosted me and he, he grabbed me and he said, he'll be the death of us all. And I said, who? And he said, Brzezinski, mm-hmm. as in as in Dr. Zbigniew Brzezinski, who yeah. at that time uh, was uh, Jimmy Carter's <clears throat> national security advisor. In reality, he was his handler. And so I started that very evening. I started I went to the library and I started researching about Brzezinski. And that led me to the Rothschild family and uh, a basic background about how the U.S. was created 
And over the next 26 years, uh, I researched anecdotally. And what I mean by anecdotally is about an, I spent about an hour a week in a library. And so four to five hours a month looking into who really runs this world and how. So I started off with Brzezinski and that led me to down a rabbit hole to many, many other people, hundreds of other people. And then I started uh, hearing inklings about the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits. And so I started researching their history. And, and I'm talking about history over almost the past four, 500 years, about 470 years. And th that took me down another rabbit hole, right down to the center of the earth, because this is the most fascinating piece of history that I've ever encountered in my entire life. And that also includes the, the history of uh, the extraterrestrials or the aliens who are among us and who travel to and from uh, you know, their world. But the Jesuits have been fascinating for, for me on a deeply personal level, I think because when I was in third grade, I went to a so-called Roman Catholic military academy in San Antonio, Texas, when my father was uh, flying missions in Vietnam. And I was mistreated by nuns. I was, I was slapped across the face. I was beaten uh, when I would get out of hand. And, and I thought, why does something that is supposed to be so beautiful, that is a religion, this form of religion, the Catholicism, why does it have to be beaten into a person? And it was at that time that I first heard the term Jesuit. These nuns were Jesuits, the the priests who were there, the fathers, and they were all Jesuits. And th that was really my first exposure to the society and just how, and I hate using the moral term, but uh, for lack of a better one, this evil society that that tries to control, that tried to control me back then. And of course, they failed completely. Uh, nonetheless, so went to college in D.C. and um, I went to graduate school, uh, University of California, San Diego, and uh, California State University, Long Beach, where I was uh, doing research in uh, shark behavior, how sharks detect electric fields around their prey. And I uh, got a first master's degree out of that. And then I uh, got a second master's degree at the University of Southern California, where I used to stick electrodes into single brain cells and study mechanisms of memory storage across the brain. And I was working on a PhD. I finished about probably 99.9% of it. Uh, had an argument with my PhD committee. Of course, they won. And so I left uh, USC in, during, actually, it was about a few days after the riots in LA in 1992, in May of 1992. And Rodney I took King. a. <clears throat> that's right, the Rodney King. Oh, it was just horrible. Yeah, I had had enough of L.A. I just said, I'm, I'm leaving. I could have finished the Ph.D. They wanted me to stay uh, for a little bit longer, but I had a life plan. I had mapped out in ninth grade, and uh, I was going to follow that to a T. So I went to a Duke University Medical Center, and uh, they had to change my title because they had awarded me a, a postdoctoral research uh, fellowship. And uh, since I did not finish the Ph.D., they just changed my title, but I did the same research there. And I was there for about a year and a half. And just before my 35th birthday, I enlisted in the U.S. Army and became uh, the oldest uh, airborne ranger private in the unit, the 75th Ranger Regiment. <clears throat> in fact, if you ever saw that movie Black Hawk Down sure. a few years back, yeah, that was my unit. Huh. So, so I reported for duty about six months after that happened. 
in um, and that happened in October third, second, third, uh, 1993. So I was an airborne here for several years in Army Special Operations for four and a half. And uh, I tell you what, I, ha I had the time of my life. It was a fantastic experience hanging out with kids who were literally half my age, and I was doing everything they were. And you know, it, I I wasn't a good guy, I wasn't a bad guy. I was just sort of mainstream. It was a very very difficult time in my life to keep up with these kids, and and doing that very strenuous and difficult work. But I, again, had the time of my life, <clears throat> and. And well, what, what, after, what made? Sorry for jumping in, but what made you join the military at, at a later time in life? Uh, I had mapped out a life plan when I was uh, about 15 years old, and it was in uh, 1974. And it was I was in ninth grade in the in the U.S. I was going to study marine biology because I had just read the book Jaws, which was one of my favorite books. I love Peter Benchley. Yeah, and. I wanted to be a Matt Hoover. I wanted to study shark behavior. And after that, I wanted to go into a laboratory and study brain behavior. At that time, I didn't know the, the term neurobiology. So I just called it brain biology. And after that, I wanted to be an, an army ranger. And I also wanted to do corporate mercenary work because I had read uh, The Dogs of War by Frederick Forsyth and just fell in love with the idea. But I had a different different bent instead of being a mercenary who simply fought with uh, governments, their armies, I wanted to somehow help people in some way. I didn't know exactly then what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to help people in some way. So <clears throat> I followed that life plan to a T and it just so happened that I joined the army at uh, just shortly before my 35th birthday and it just it just happened that way. No, I I probably should have joined back when I was 18 or 19. That um, I wanted to be a scientist first and take that as far as I could, and and then join the army, as I said. And then <clears throat> shortly after I got out of the army, I wrote a business plan, a very short business plan, for designing international private military companies that use my expertise. That is, I could go into a country posing as a scientist or a technician, computer technician, some kind of geek or nerd, and rescue people out of hostile territories. And that's exactly what I did over a part-time period over nine years, 211 successful missions. And I also had a secondary mission, which I started probably, uh, I don't know, it was about six years after, six years into the work of hunting down persons of interest, because I found uh, a lot of people out there who, I, I and I knew that I could have access to them, a lot of people who just did not belong among the living, quite honestly. And uh, so after that, <clears throat> I got out of the work uh, in late 2007, and I kind of needed a break. My body was broken. I think I broke about 25 bones when I was a ranger. <laughs> and it was a broke my pelvis almost in two on a parachute landing that, and I didn't even know about it for about 10 years. So <clears throat> I, ju I just kept going and going and going until around the middle of 2007 that I just literally fell apart, drinking too much and 
So I just, I needed a break. And gee whiz, I was like uh, 48 years old, and which is unheard of in that kind of business. You know, at 48, you, you're well retired. Yeah, right. And I, I, I feel like I was still playing the games of 18, 20 year old. So it was clearly time for me to, uh, to get out of the business. And, you know, the entire time <clears throat> I'd also been writing writing and editing i started writing let's see i started writing even when i was in college I used to write romance short stories for women's magazines and i've always been a writer always loved it and so i started doing it uh, even more earnestly around 1998 and i and i just on a a lark got the opportunity to ghostwrite a person's book, actually two people. I'd met them at Los Angeles International Airport, overheard a conversation, and uh, about 20 napkins, I met their entire book. <laughs> 20 napkins. Yep, it was, yeah, I counted them. It was 20 napkins. It wasn't 19, it wasn't 21, it was 20 napkins. And uh, so I ghostwrote that book and actually became a New York Times bestseller for them. That's incredible. And so I did uh, many more, like 18 ghostwritten books, some novels, biographies, uh, narrative nonfiction. Seven of those were on the New York Times bestseller list. But I, And then a few years later, I got into editing because I wanted to become a better writer myself. And uh, one of my friends had said, listen, you want to become a, a good writer, become a great editor. So I started uh, pitching my myself as an editor, <clears throat> and I edited uh, some books by... Dan Brown, The Da Vinci Code, and Angels and Demons. Um, no one has probably heard of those, I'm sure. Oh, sure. Of and, course. And also uh, several books by uh, one of my favorite authors, Steve Alton, uh, who's an action-adventure writer, and uh, and many, many others. And I ended up uh, editing 13 New York Times bestsellers for others. So I said, I, I'm, I'm really on a, a good track here. I'm doing some great work for other people. I think it's time that I did made a little money for myself. So I started a publishing company, Adagio Press, and with the the hope of doing some ghostwriting for other people, publishing their work, and also bringing in authors who wrote their own work, and I would edit it, which is what I do now. And <clears throat> go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your statement. Uh, I. It's it, we're still a young company, even though it's uh, formerly been around for a uh, little over ten years. And I have uh, two authors. Actually, uh, the third one is uh, a South African author, uh, whose manuscript, beautiful manuscript, I just acquired. So, <clears throat> Adagio Press is my primary duty. However, I spend a heck of a lot of time doing research on the Jesuits and on uh, extraterrestrials, the the ET factor, I call it. And I, I feel like I, I get maybe three hours sleep a night, maybe four hours if I'm lucky, because there is so much fascinating information out there, Mel. I don't want to sleep. It's like being, it's like watching the best Hollywood movie you could possibly watch, and you don't want it to end. If you, if you saw my head right now, I'm going up and down agreeing with what you're saying because I know a feeling. You go to bed and you think, I need more than 24 hours a day. It, it's almost like an addiction. You turn on the switch and you cannot turn it off because as I'm talking to you, I know that the door is cracked and I'm going to open it. I'm going to try to open as many doors for everybody who's listening tonight because what Dean is going to be discussing tonight, folks... 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.